Hey everybody, I'm here with Natasha. I have been reading your stuff. I mean, I've read your stuff for years now, but knowing that we were going to talk, I've done like the last like three days, just like deep dive. And uh, for me, it's really fun. I was just like, I, my, my house that I don't, that I was just explaining to you how I don't occupy is next to a cafeteria. And uh, oh was, wow, cool. yeah, I'm like on 15th street. I, I, I used to go to bungalow eight and then cafeteria. I mean, three nights a week, like, you know, wow. <laughs> and that was like that, that opening to your book is super nostalgic. I had read a few of the pieces like over the years, but I just started reading them again, like in order. Um, I think I've probably read like half of them at this point. Yeah. Uh, but I, this is like an exciting connect for me um, because I've always seen you as this person who we, we we've never spoken before we don't know each other just like for anyone listening but like I've always just from afar loved your voice because I have these like I'm from New York born and raised and I have this like awkward exposure to this kind of like socialite old New York um scene and you are one of the few people who I've ever seen have exposure to it. Like you, you, you know it, you speak it fluently. And like, I, you, sh you see the sides that I am sensitive to. And I've always seen you, I've always, I've always read you articulating certain things. I, I like pull phrases that I'm just like, like, what did I write down? All the kids who admitted to being rich, like right there, like just, you articulate things that I have felt for so long. And yeah, I was talking to my friend who used to be an editor at interview and like you distill that world so well. So um, yeah, I have like a million mini topics, but I don't really give a shit. I'm just like super happy to connect with you. I love your writing <laughs> and your perspective and yeah, you're just, you're like one of my favorite people. You're just super cool and smart. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's such a high compliment. And I also have so many insecurities about like not getting that scene right, you know, not being from New York. So that is very reassuring to hear. For whatever my opinion is worth, which it's, you know, <laughs> two cents. <laughs> uh, you've always been someone who I think, I don't think there's a right. Let's say that, first of all, like, but you resonate and you right. can articulate in a sentence what I have, you know, often not even thought enough on the surface to speak about feelings that took me decades to reconcile enough to even talk about it at all. And you just like, you have like a three page piece that or you just, yeah, you synthesize so many things. So I've, I've always loved your perspective, whether it's right or wrong, I don't give a shit or no, but I've always felt encouraged by reading your perspective. And especially when you, um, I loved your Elizabeth Wurzel piece in N plus one. Um, I loved, you know, Tav, your Tavi piece, like just w when you, when you connect with people that like I already like, and like, you know, Chris Krause, like, 
when you connect with people I already like, it draws me closer to them. Although I, like Chris Krause is like really hard for me, but you are like <laughs> a way to, not in a, I don't disagree with her. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, it's like Joyce, you know, she's, mm. she's difficult for me. Um, mm -hmm. It's academic, you know, it's, it's hard. It's so, it, it blows my brain up. It's, it's brilliant. And it blows my brain up. Mm -hmm. But when you're involved, all of a sudden, I understand everything. Oh, yeah. I love that. Thanks. <laughs> I don't know. So that, that, that's why I reached out to you, because I thought you're someone who I just like, I, I love your language. I love the way that like, I feel I speak your language and I understand your language. And you talk about topics that, that I care about in ways that I am incapable of. I have to use a lot more words than you. <laughs> Where are you from? I'm from Arizona. And you moved um, to New York up, 10 years ago? Uh, yeah, I grew up in Tucson and then partially in Grand Rapids, Michigan. So I feel like I'm from both places and then I moved back to Tucson and from there moved to New York. So yeah, I've been in New York. Yeah, I guess ten years. Yeah, it's you wrote, I mean your book starts in twenty eleven. Right? Almost ten years. Yeah. Yeah. I guess not quite. Well, I don't know. Yeah. Twenty eleven was that's a time that I talk about a lot. Really? Twenty eleven, twenty ten to twenty thirteen. Yeah. I mean, I was DJing every night at that time. Mm -hmm. I have a song coming out where I talk about twenty ten. And that how, you know, dance music and club culture shifted toward DJ culture and like all of that Avicii kind of shit. Um, yeah. So you, so what was, I'm trying to think, what were like the first places you went out? Oh God. Um, places I went out. I mean, I wasn't like a club person at all. Like I kind of wished that I was. <laughs> But um, you talk about parties. Yeah, but parties as in like sponsored. Yeah, like <laughs> wherever me and my friends could like go and get free drinks because we were just so yeah. broke that yeah. it was. I mean, that was definitely a culture for I mean, it still is, I'm sure. But yeah. like it was a culture of like there are no parties to go to other than these ones that somehow have enough money to like give a bunch of poor people free drinks because that's where you would want to be anyway. Like, is it still happening that way? I think so. I, I feel a little old for that, but me too. I also like when I, I just moved to Manhattan last year, like late last year. So I was also going to like Brooklyn things and okay. those aren't really clubs as much right you know what i mean but yeah, totally. I don't yeah it's know. a different kind of thing it's not like place i feel like i don't feel very many like nostalgic attachments to to places in new york unfortunately why unfortunately why do you say it like that i mean i'm i'm a little jealous of people that can say like this was my favorite club growing up or like you know like this was the restaurant that we were always at like i guess i could technically say that but I always felt a little peripheral wherever I was 
and that might just be like a personality flaw instead of the actual case you know either way i wouldn't call it a flaw but i think it could be contextual that uh, it was like there's a huge difference between you know 2011 and 2007 like Mm -hmm. that is i think i was still like we still had beatrice in around then Mm -hmm. and that was a place you know it's by 2011 i think we were done with the spots just go to this place anytime and you know you're going to see people and it's going to be cool and you're going to have people that you like there i think that might have been maybe cabin was the last of that i don't know but i think like 2007 2008 was the last time that we that like you know social life revolved around places and then it shifted toward events and it got different. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I wasn't here for that shift, but I remember visiting New York as uh, like, I know I, I was definitely underage cause that was like a annoying part of it, but I was like <laughs> a 20 year old probably. And uh, going with my friends to, um, like Don Hills. Okay, Don Hills is like my favorite. So you got that. Yeah. That was, that was an incredible time. Well, but I mean, once, because I was like visiting. So I've been there once in my entire life. And then it, and then the next time- so You got I a picture York, of it. It was probably gone. Yeah, Don Hills got, it closed and then reopened under like proper management and it was different. It was it was not the same. It was, it was cool, mm-hmm. but it was like an event. It wasn't just like, a club anymore it was it was super when i was in high school it was like that was my favorite party but that was even i'm, I'm 35 so that was don hills 2003 was like oh my god it was incredible the, so the doorman from bungalow eight was the guy from don hills disco oh okay cool. <laughs> he's now at one oak <laughs> wow I still like know some of these people like I like got out of that world like many years ago but I just like I was friends with them so I still like have some connections to people and I'll I I just passed one that's the only reason I know that is because I walked past one night and saw Disco there and I was like what the fuck you working here like but yeah but I know him from like when I cared about this shit more so when you got to New York you were like you were young and you but you started writing about it from the beginning what were like your like what brought you to new york and what were your takes like right away what were you exploring what were you looking for um well my sister lived here so i think i was coming to new york just because she made it sound fun and (laughs) um i moved into her building so we hung out a lot and still do. Um, but I guess I was also, before I moved to New York, I started writing for Dis Magazine and I was kind of cool. just like a fan that wrote yeah. to them. And it was like this thing that I was like, I feel like this is going to be a big deal. And I wrote to them and said, like, you need writers. Like they didn't have writers yet. Okay. And I was like, I could be 
one of them. And they were like, sure. So I had like an advice column there that was kind of phony and, you know, like we made up the question. Well, we just made up the question. That's great. I love that. But I, we got some real questions and I did answer them, but in a very like (laughs) facetious way, you know, like it was, it was a character. Um, and that was kind of like my dream. I was like, I'm an advice columnist. I mean, obviously not paid, like it was a blog, but um, I was, you know, like hanging out with that crew of people and they were the most fun and they would throw really cool parties. And it was like back when, you know, Arca was just like a DJ. Cool. And not like this grand performer. And Still at NYU. Um, yeah. Yeah. And um like Telfar and Shane. Cool. Uh, like all these people, like Total Freedom. They would DJ these incredible parties. And like I guess they weren't part I guess they were like events. It wasn't like there was the club that we would always go to. It was just like you hear about a place and go to it. Right. You know, that night. But I was going out a lot, I guess. I was working at Beacon's Closet and I met like cool. so many friends there. <laughs> so I was having so much fun. I, I miss those days. It's a secondhand shop I kind that of, they have a few locations in New York. Yeah, yeah. And, but like iconic, you know? Yeah, it's like I mean, legendary place, yeah. It felt that way at least. It was like- Like it, people go in just to look around. Like I'll, I'll go in if I have a minute and I'm walking by and I'll just look at what they have there. Even if I'm not buying anything, I'll just look. It's cool. It's, just, it's like a gallery kind of. It's very, um, you know, they respect design a lot. It's not like a thrift shop. Like it's not right. like a Goodwill. It's like curated as fuck. It's cool and expensive. <laughs> not, all, not everything expensive, but some. But I mean- I guess like iconic to me in a way that was like, I felt like everybody there was so cool. Like everybody working there. Definitely. So I was really happy to get that job. And I was happy to like have this little life of like working at a store with all my friends and then writing a few places like, you know, Vice or like this or Bomb or whatever, like online tiny little article I could like try to get you know um but yeah my first year or two in New York was actually surprisingly easy I didn't have like the disaster like you know um having to get a loan or something right away it was like I lived in a really cheap place with like five roommates and it was great I don't feel that, you know, I, I would, I would say like kind of cliched bitterness and cynicism in your writing where people, you know, I read a lot of stories of people coming to New York and they love to just be like, Oh yeah, it's, it's, you know, this horrible, like we all, you know, are just, uh, you know, what, what I like, I've seen you on a few topics, like you kind of go against the people who are, like outraged at certain things and you will come with a very moderate response. I'm like, yeah, I'm always in the middle. 
<laughs> but that's it really frustrates people really like what's an issue that you've been in the middle of that that like you think is frustrating people i mean not i mean not in my writing necessarily but just like in my day-to-day life like mm-hmm. i think i'm uh I'm, i think i'm sort of hard to talk to because i'm like well everybody's in a gray area like that's like my response to everything you know it's like people are nuanced <laughs> and it's it just like ends the conversation <laughs> you know I mean that's kind of how I am like I don't I'm not apolitical I just uh I'm like ideology is not a f- like not a valid concept basically like if you say that you're you know part of a political party or if you sign up for a religion like you're just making a choice like an irrational choice because there are no two people who possibly agree with any set of beliefs it's just not it's just not the way that humans work so you know if you want to address something with someone you cannot just subscribe to a to a column that's you you can't it's not multiple choice you can't just like co-sign everything that the liberals say or you know be a red and that's it you just can't it doesn't work that way and people who who make it a binary like that it's just we, we, we live in a i think i you know an endless set of of dualistic spectrums and none of us fall on either side of any of them and none of us line up the same so i, I yeah i mean i guess that's why i, I tend to resonate with your 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 moderacy is that moderacy no i think moderation so. i don't know moderation sure i mean you <laughs> talk about me too and like uh you, you go you go I, did you because you t- your essays on me too were pretty contemporary like as it was coming you talk about things like right away and people didn't do that people were like terrified like 2017 people were terrified but you put things out that were like very in the middle like everyone had to be fully 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 on the like burn them and that was it or you were crucified what was that like for you I mean, you were very, very moderate. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess it was like the first time I wrote about the Me Too movement, it was definitely uh, like something I wouldn't have done on my own. It was uh, asked of me. Okay. But okay. I was I was kind of excited to do it because I was like, there is a very complex thing happening and I guess that is what I'm interested in writing about but yeah of course you're sort of inundated with like the takes so it's a little uh exhausting to imagine that you're adding to that you know choir but I was I guess I was surprised at the um reception of it because I just thought it would kind of like fade into the background of like all these other stories. I mean, I think there have been really good stories written about that particular time. And um, I think that was my most, the, the, I think I wrote about it kind of, uh, you know, in very, like not about it, but sort of uh, wrote pieces that, that were set in that time mm-hmm. um, twice. And the first time it was like, probably the most popular thing I've ever written. Like I got so much more attention. 
Um, it was called Two Stops, and it was for N Plus One. And I oh, think yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. That, I know piece. yeah. Yeah, like that. I mean, also N Plus One has a lot of really loyal fans and readers. And like, They're great, I, yeah. I've subscribed for a while. Yeah. yeah. I was excited, first of all, to write for them, and I was definitely, like, I mean, I was worried a little bit about having that big of an audience and writing about such a touchy subject, but it was like, I don't know. I, I felt like, yeah, I kind of like worked my way down the middle. And so of course it wouldn't get a lot of attention, but it did. And it was all good attention. And it was all people saying like, this is the way things need to be spoken of or whatever, you know, like nice feedback. And I guess I was just surprised. I'm just always surprised. I'm surprised by every single thing that I've written, getting the amount of readers it does or the amount of sort of like like response because I always feel like why wouldn't somebody write about this and why wouldn't it be me and it, it's almost boring at this point you know <laughs> like that's that kind of when an idea is very well formulated also because it's just like it just comes out it's just so obvious and there's no other maybe. way that's know. probably true yeah, I don't know. I just like if you're not fighting and and going a million directions at once, figuring this out, like right. Then I don't. I guess uh, what was the quote? Who was it? Was it Bunuel? Some filmmaker. Like basically, you know, art. You make the art to understand things. You don't make art that you about things you already understand you mm -hmm. are at a point of understanding and you want to understand more. So you make right. art and part of the art making allows you to understand more. And right. if you didn't have that art making, you would remain confused. But right. this creates the alchemy, creates a new setting for you to understand more. And then what happens is, is you transfer that as well. And you do a part and then you start to include new elements people responses you know and then you understand more and they understand more and then all of a sudden you live in this ecosystem with this shared understanding and then your life maybe is more enjoyable <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. that's how i think about making things it's in general. true though yeah. and i i think it took me a really long time to understand that um that doctrine like i think okay. i i took a lot of creative writing classes in college and that was always something that was kind of said in them like you write about something that you don't quite understand and your writing helps you to understand that thing and i was always oh, like wow. what does that mean like what how do you write about something that you don't understand but i guess now that is kind of like all i do you know even in fiction i'm kind of like right. drawn to these very mysterious subjects i mean very mysterious is kind of an overstatement because it, I, I think I'm terrified of writing about things that I completely don't understand and have no experience with, but sure. you know, these things that are present in our lives, but just confuse us. And mm -hmm. there's so many of those things right now. I mean, I, yeah, I, I mean, I was told like I like hearing what you said about your creative writing in college. I went to college for similar and I was told write what you know. And 
There's also that. Yeah. Yeah. I was always, I remember (laughs) being super bogged down by um, this idea of research that in order to write a screenplay, you first have to do all this research. Like you have to read Mm -hmm. books and you have to make notes and outlines of not the story outlines. Like, like I remember some screenwriting class that taught me about, it taught me about how Michael Crichton, like, you know, Jurassic Park and Andromeda Strain and that guy writes books and he, he writes sci-fi books that are based on, you know, like science (laughs) that he has to research in order to invent fiction on top of the science. But like, I remember learning and getting so intimidated by these ideas of like, you can't write anything until you do all this research, until you understand all these things. And, and, and it's not worth writing anything unless you've already done all this, you know, it, basically it's like, go get a graduate's degree on something and then you can write about it. But until then, like you're shit. And I didn't write because yeah. of that for a while, but like now what I write is just like, I remember then like I would, I would have, I would have like micro memoir class, you know? And then it's like write eight pages on like, you know, going for tea with my grandmother yesterday and the memories that it would evoke and whatever, like, and that's the opposite end of it where it's just like pure vomit of feeling and that's it. And it's not necessarily like value of or knowledge or understanding of anything it's just vomit feeling um and you know somewhere mm-hmm. in between is the is the good stuff where you have some understanding but you need to make more connections and the art makes those connections but i wasn't given that i had to find that later and i think that held me back in a lot of ways it took me yeah. a long time i think to be like oh no i know and i i am equipped right now to go do something of value. I don't have to keep, you know, it's like this other person who's doing it. Like they don't have more value than me. They don't like know more. And if they did, it doesn't matter. Like, but it's not the whole doctrine of just like, you know, just do it. Just like do any, it's not the whole DIY. Like I don't, I don't believe in the, like, you know, just anyone make music and garage band. And like, <laughs> like that's just like, we get noise, you know, we get bullshit. It takes serious. Yeah can get taught you know well I always remember because I went to grad school for creative writing too um which I feel like conflicted about except for the fact that I got paid to be there so it was totally worth it but awesome I like remember going to some like seminar that was just a visiting author and he was like don't start writing your novel yet just write just go and like have experience you know he was kind of like yelling at us because he was like basically hating on creative writing MFAs, Uh but like talking to a whole class of people (laughs) getting their MFA. And he was like, go work on a fishing boat and all this stuff. And it's like, I kind of feel the same way when I meet people sometimes, just because I think that they're like shit. And I'm like, go work on a fishing boat and then probably decide not to write. Like, that's how I really feel. It's like, if you're really stuck on and like trying to be a thing that's like, you know, you have like the wrong motivations or something's wrong, something's like making it so that you are shitty, then maybe just try something else. And if that thing doesn't inspire you to like come back to it, don't come back to it. You know, like I, like it kind of felt like 
there are way too many writers in the world anyway, at least this type of like MFA literary writer. Mm -hmm. So I kind of agreed with this person, but at the same time, it's like nothing has ever been more sure in my mind that what I wanted to be was a writer. And like, whenever I hear people saying stuff like that, I'm like, oh, he's talking to everybody else, like not Mm -hmm. me. I mean, that's kind of the magic, you know, Mm -hmm. that you have. that's it that's it like in a way it's self it's self-obsession but it's i don't know it's panned out so it's okay i have this thing that i say it's like ego and narcissist like i am kill the ego embrace your narcissism (laughs) like don't do anything for the idea of yourself for your personality for your image for your persona for your ideology you know um, for your sense of self, but at the same time, and, 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 and I kind of bend, I guess, the definition of narcissism. Some people can, can take this in a totally different way, but like, you're the most important person on earth and you are the only one responsible and capable of building your universe. And that's the, that's the thing that matters most. Do you, you do it. You've 24 hours today. You're alive. You're awake. What are you going to do with it? There's no intention, there's no attempts, there's no, you know, uh, what's inside, like you just got to do stuff and go fucking do it. And, and, and it's the most important thing. There's nothing else that matters, but you doing this. So embracing your narcissism, embracing that you're going to go sit at cafeteria and you're going to distill the interpersonal dynamics of that location and the people around you, you're going to distill it in a way that is of immense value to the rest of the world. And you're going to articulate it and everyone's going to read that and they're going to understand things. And you have to do that. And that's I mean, just it. If you're lucky. <laughs> I, I, I would, I would say that it doesn't, luck doesn't come in. You just have to fucking do it. And, but, but you did. Yeah, I guess I did. (laughs) Well, you literally did, you know? Right. Yeah. It wasn't that someone gave you permission, you know? It wasn't that that teacher told you to go on a fishing boat and then you said, but do you think I haven't, you know, do you think I'm smart enough to maybe go try writing now instead of going on the fishing boat? Like you didn't ask him that you just fucking did it and but you had it yeah that's cool yeah i don't know i think there's i think that there's something to that like um embracing your narcissism but i've never articulated it in that way but i i feel like uh narcissism is something that comes up a lot in my therapy sessions so (laughs) how does it come up Oh, I mean, just, it's, I feel like it runs in my family. (laughs) And so I'm always afraid of it uh, coming out in the wrong way or in a way that like no one can deal with. But, um, but yeah, it's probably more, it's not like it's something that has affected me so greatly other than the fact that I'm terrified of it eventually affecting me. Well, maybe that's, a natural form of balance. Yeah, maybe. That's like a mm-hmm. check. Yeah. Against you 
erring on the side of ego. Because mm-hmm. I think narcissism, the narcissism that I speak of, the self-interest that I speak of can easily turn into ego, can easily turn into actualizing the self, which is bullshit. Mm-hmm. Manifesting, like it's bullshit. You just totally. Do yeah. The manifesting thing is bullshit, especially yeah. when you kind of figure out who it is that's manifesting this stuff because they're usually highly supported in other ways. It's called a personality at best. Yeah. And it's a machine that feeds something for a reason that is not the thing that you're buying and you're supporting it for. Like fucking Tom's shoes. (laughs) (laughs) I always use them. You know, Blake Mykoski is the ultimate, like Blake Mykoski, uh, John Krasinski, fucking John Krasinski finally got caught. I've been calling it for years that he's, you know, oh, what happened? I haven't seen that. It's not like actual scandal. It's just it's just backlash. Um, I hate John Krasinski. Like I've been saying it loud for a long time. <laughs> like, <laughs> I have like what other people <laughs> consider irrational hatred for a lot of like it's mm. not real hatred. It's just what it is 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 along the lines of of what I said before about building your universe. You know, I consider myself fully respon- the most responsible, the only responsible for like living in the world that I want to live it and that takes care that that requires taking care of the 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 collect you know i'm this is not an egotistical thing this is not like but like i have to be the king you know i have to be you have to be the queen of your of your world you have to build it you are fully responsible so i think like john krasinski is harmful to a lot of people he puts this like it sounds ridiculous i know and and like it's more conceptual you know it's more like is he actually like whatever i'm sure he's fine but it's more representational it's that john krasinski puts these ideas it's the white savior kind of stuff it's this like this guy is out there as if his you know his he can make a face like as if his facial expression brings value to people his presence his uh he has this ability to you know just be right about things and it's the way that john stewart used to do it where john stewart would put a picture up on his you know above in a bubble like a weekend like weekend update and just make a face and we'd be like that's ridiculous look at that fucking moron because john stewart (laughs) you know and it's like, wait, but hold on, like maybe that wasn't so fucking stupid. Wait, whoa, whoa, back up. Like, and John Krasinski has this, like, who me? Like, but at the same time, like, I'm the president. I'm gonna come into your like every movie John Krasinski makes is like I come into like a village or something overseas. I have a beard and I will like because I'm, you know, I, I know things and I will bring, he just, he comes and he saves the day. You know, he does, it's not like Rambo, which was like something, a whole nother thing, but there's this like, you know, these Dan Bilzerian kind of characters that like, don't just own up that, you know, like I, I wrote, I wrote this essay a while ago about Burning Man bros, like tech bros versus Dan Bilzerian. And I was like, bravo Dan Bilzerian. Cause he's about what he's about. He doesn't pretend any, like, I, I don't like <laughs> the, like, fucking bitches, shooting guns, playing poker, like, that's not my life. I have no, int- that's not, like, my platform at all. But I'm just like, yo, that's who you are, and, and cool. But John Krasinski puts this whole, right. like, he puts this, 
this fancy face on this thing that's valueless and hollow and there's no platform like what does he represent like absolutely nothing so he just put this thing out called some good news and it during the pandemic where he hosted a show and he built up a crazy 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 viewership and it's you know he calls it unsustainable which just means that he has other paying gigs once things reopen so basically he just built up this gigantic uh -huh. show based on people being lonely and scared and wanting to not read you know just constant doom and he because his face is because he's handsome and white and safe and you know not problematic um gets to just read random good news it's 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 nothing it's just empty random good news like a pony was born you know it's it's, it's nothing and yeah he sold it for like tens of millions of dollars just now to viacom and he's not so participating he is doing it no he's not no no that's the thing he's not even doing it he sold so it's just he sold the data the subscribers that's it so like your company the israeli fuck like that's what he did he just did the Israeli guy thing, but they're not calling it that. So John Krasinski puts out a tweet or whatever. He says it was unsustainable. It wasn't unsustainable. You have other stuff that you want to do and you get paid for that and you have contracts and shit and you're just picking that because you could do both. You're not picking it over this. You'd rather take a huge check for this now, make this an eight week project for yourself that you just got paid 10 million fucking dollars for and be out and all these fan base, you just got paid for all these people who were just like supporting you. And then you're, you peace out and took the check. What he could have done is he could have handed off, he could have kept the show independent, handed off the show to Rain Wilson, who would come on sometimes, who does not have the same, you know, he doesn't get $20 million a movie the way that John Krasinski does. So if it's really about that, that John Krasinski is so in demand that he can't keep doing that, he should have just let the show continue but independently and hand it to another host, you know? And he could come and guest, but he didn't mm -hmm. do that. He sold it outright for a shitload of money that he got pocketed himself. And I think that's fucked. And, and what are they buying? They're buying the account, the data, the subscribers, all of that. And that's a fucked but up world. They'll probably lose them. Uh, they'll lose them. People won't tune in to the same way, but they've got uh, yeah. the habits. They've got the, the data is massive. The people who subscribe to it are the most susceptible right. types of people. Who there, there's a certain archetype of custom of consumer who subscribe to it that they are going to be in this wheel for a long time now. That's how Viacom is like positioning their whole business. Is they don't have um. They're 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 going to be like more like dark web kind of shit you know like like, like your israeli company you know they're gonna they, they don't have properties anymore <laughs> that are like the thing that you watch like we like no one cares about mtv but like they're gonna be like more advertising and like ad tech kind of stuff that like we don't realize uh -huh. they're behind all this stuff so this is a really good deal for them to yeah. get a user base this is like a mat some good news data is massively valuable because it, it's it like such a unique case study that no one, like there's no, you can't replicate it. And it's massive, huge. It's tens of millions of people. So yeah, 
fuck that guy. Anyway, sorry, I went on a rant about John Krasinski. <laughs> I think it's really funny that you hate him so much. So, oh, because I'm just like, like Taika Waititi also. I got in trouble because I, I ranted on Taika Waititi recently and some friends who worked for him. Uh, you know what we do in Shadows? He directed Thor. Um, he's, he's a New Zealand okay. guy. And he has become okay. massively successful as a director. And he's also like a personality. And he just always takes... He did um, Jojo Rabbit. I don't know if you saw that. The Hitler movie. Okay. No. But he just like... Basically, my knock with him is he just like... Uses his charm. His cult of personality to get these like... Big studio projects he was he was like an indie darling for a minute he wrote he wrote some really good stuff when he was young and then he got onto studio projects and then he leveraged his studio access like his marvel jobs to make his indie projects like big indies his indie suck like jojo rabbit's garbage but it's like all <laughs> he's the star the like every red carpet is him he just he like used it to mm -hmm. be about it's all about him and people don't see it that way. That's how, that's what I see. I just see this, he made a movie, he wrote, directed, he's the star. And he, he used the fact that he's a Marvel director to convince rich and other famous people to make him more rich and famous as, and, and like, as if there's some like goodwill or something that's for anybody else. And people look at it like it's this, uh, I, I don't really know what they think he represents to them, but it's just more people using their access to the machine to do nothing, to just make more money and just grow their position in the machine. And I want someone to get access to the machine and either use their influence on it to make something good, make something for other people, or actually like manipulate it in a way that leads to like more understanding rather than just like be the one to get to make the schlock. And a lot of these people, that's what they get to, that's what they do. They just use their indie credibility to get the positioning to be the one to go make the junk. And I don't like that. Yeah, but there's also this, I always feel like there's a, a kind of like giving in to even participating, you know, like you're, if you want to make a movie that manipulates the system, it kind of also means you have to like climb the, like, climb the ranks and become yeah. a big deal and therefore participate in the sort of like factory of publicity. And it's like, at that point, like how far removed can you really be if you're really yeah. just like it's inside really of the system? And I think it's kind of become this, I don't know, it's, it's like this, it's the same in the art world where you're like, I wanna be the artist that really has something great to say instead of being so, you know, sensational. And it's like, once you get there, you realize that everything is, funded in an evil way or something you know like something about it will piss you off and 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 you'll just if you're so like pure of heart you'll find it so disgusting and disturbing that the only way you can 
react is in like a sensational way or you become the thing that you hated and then you talk yourself into thinking that it was what you wanted to be the whole time so i kind of that had happened to me at like, one point in my life and i oh, eventually really? walked away yeah i got a huge i had a huge job at apple i i ran i did original content i ran connected apple music when we launched and it was great for a while. And then I was, you know, I could have been the dude who literally just like wrote the posts for Star Wars Day. It's May 4th and like done some bullshit. I had like, I was going to do once like our initial six months long, like I was just going to do like huge global marketing job, which was just it was like, we would have 75 people to decide like, you know, what Star Wars image we're going to put on the front page tomorrow like and it was just so fuck it was just you know I, I and and i left i i had it i had the opportunity well i burned i burned myself to the ground basically i went all or nothing for the like i want to like i had the thing that we the, the i wanted to do the really really good original content and i burned my position to the ground in a last ditch attempt to affect that kind of change and then i left and i left the whole system and like you're talking to me two years later. Did you leave? Sorry, go ahead. No, no, tell me. Did you leave in a way that was like, you know, like fuck this, I'm never doing it again? It took me six months, maybe a year, to get there. Uh, no, you know what? It probably took me longer because, um. So at first, I didn't really know what was happening while I was in it. I wasn't so aware I was just reacting and I was confused over the direction of the company because I didn't understand how much of a threat I represented to the institutional, you know, to the business model where I was democratizing something that we controlled and that's not good for a corporation. And I didn't, I, I didn't understand that, that what the creative, all the cool stuff that I wanted to do represented a threat. So first, it was the realization shortly after that I was sort of painting anyone else who I wanted to like support me into a corner. And I didn't see it that way until after. So that was part of it. And then uh, I, yeah, no, it wasn't a fuck this. Like I actually wrote something afterwards um, a few months later that was like, really really supportive of apple and they were really like they appreciated it so i like i'm cool with everyone it wasn't i didn't fuck you to anybody um i just tried to make it something that i wanted it to be and i failed and that meant that like my opportunity to you know my backup plan was burned i couldn't like go over people's heads to try and fix the system and then say, Hey, by the way, I'll take that global marketing position. It would have been weird, you know? Uh, but mm -hmm. within a few months of like life of just, you know, calming down and like thinking about it, I was at that point of like, yeah, I'm going to make art. I have no interest in this world anymore. Um, I think it's dying. I think marketing is dead at like today. I talked to people like you can't do marketing the way that we did marketing. Uh, you know, five years ago, we launched in 2015. And what I got hired for, the kind of marketing that I did, you cannot do that today. And 
you have to like, you have to do it entirely differently. So I saw that mm-hmm. dying and I was like, instead of trying to hold on to this merry-go-round where I have a job and whatever, I'm just going to go build, I'm just going to go make stuff. The stuff that I really, really want to make and whatever financial model I exist within, that's what, you know, I'll just figure it out, but I'm going to make films. I'm going to make music. I'm going to make clothes. I'm going to make a show eventually. Like, and that's, that was what I came to rather than trying to work at Snapchat or Spotify or whatever. I just, uh, yeah, I just, I thought it was dead. I thought I had the last time where anyone was autonomous to go make cool stuff at one of those corporations. Now my department is like hundreds of people. And it's not, you know, it's ridiculous. You can't do anything. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like everybody in New York has had these kind of glimpses into that style of job. And it's either like completely deflating or like drives you forward and it makes you want to be like in this moment or these moments that have been going on, it's very strange to see how quickly all of that stuff changes, like marketing or like, you know, like how, like what type of person is even hired at like Apple or Facebook or something. Like, I think it changes so constantly and so frequently that it's like this weird thing that it could either make you just say like, okay, this whole system is totally like fucked forever, especially Mm. because it's run by people that are old enough to remember like a really different era. But I think a lot of other people will see that and say like, okay, here's my chance to like get on that wheel. And like, whoever like stays on the longest kind of like ends up on top. It's just sort of this. That's like, exactly how I saw it. Uh huh. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, do I want to hold on like, to this or do I want to just let go and just like go with God kind of. And that's what I did. I just like, I had, I had a job that would have been rinsed through. I could have replicated that any, you know, forever. And you know, like you, you crack a threshold, like you, you get a consulting position at one place, you can get a consulting position at another place. It's like that. And right. That's what a lot of people do. It's just fear. You know, it's just like holding on to things, but it's fear. And it's, I mean, it's so expensive to not be afraid of that. It's like, and it's crazy. Like I've worked in like consulting positions at different types of offices and it is so crazy how different the types of people are it's just anybody it's like literally like 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 anyone yeah like what tell me your observations with these kinds of things i mean i i just it's not like not smart people but i just it's sometimes like you'll be in a room with somebody who worked in magazines when they were like mostly print Mm -hmm. and then people who have never read a magazine or like are somehow like their status is based on a personal brand like you know it's like there's a whole range of people that are like extremely behind the scenes to extremely in front of the scenes and I think it's kind of like the the spectrum of age too it kind of correlates with that you know it's like the older you are the more used to or the 
the more you were exposed to this idea of like, you're part of a team, your worth is, you know, paid with money and you're helping to create this object. But like the younger you are, the more you're told your personal brand is the only thing that will get you above water at this point. And you might even get nothing from that. But if you completely sell your image to like corporations, maybe you'll get a job or maybe you'll get paid out, you know? And it's like the range of those ideals don't mesh. And so you're like in these rooms and I'm not speaking from a, a place of more experience than anybody else. And that's kind of like, I feel like I have to keep saying that when I talk about my writing. Cause I think it's like a misconception, especially for people that are not in New York, you know, that like, I'm trying to say like, listen, I was there and I saw it all. It's, it's really not that it's like everyone in New York has had the same experience as me at, in some way or another, like seeing that exact weird apex of like this thing pivoting. You know what I mean? It's like that, I've like, never gotten the impression from you that you're trying to impress upon the reader that you have, you know, special like I like can access. talk about this because I'm X or whatever. Like I'm not. You're just you're you're there like anyone else is, and you're giving. I think the difference is in your insights. Your, the difference is not in your access or your experience, actually. I don't, I don't, I've never read anything that you've written where you've been like, it's never story driven. It's observational. It's you're at a regular, like a regular story occurs and you distill from it. And like, like the right, the value of the, of the piece is that you distilled something from a one night stand that, you know, someone else hadn't before like it's not that oh my god my one night stand was so fucking crazy you're never gonna believe it it's not sex in the city it's not mm -hmm. the guy did this he's like none of, no you have regular experiences you go you went to a party and you in three sentences like let us understand that we've been to that party before and we and, and we relate right. to it and then you start to get into the analysis of it and what you feel is going on in that interaction and i think your value your writing has value because anyone all these people that you describe who have we've shared these experiences and you are interpreting them for us in a way that is valuable like like to me it's valuable but i mean you're you're the same age as me and we live in the same city like i feel like there's a huge population that is unaware that this is super normal and like the bizarre things that i'm the the things that i think are bizarre are bizarre because they're normal you know, it's like, this is the way the world works now. It's really difficult to like sell yourself without literally right, selling right. yourself. And that's bizarre. Like there's something really strange going on where like you feel, yeah, like you feel like you have to like <laughs> get Like I'm out. down to sell out. Like, yeah. but wait, can it even pay my rent? <laughs> right, right, exactly. Like you can literally like sell out completely and then it's like not even worth it. So I guess like here's a here's a context. Like there's people who read, you know, you're you, you use the phrase sponsored parties like all the time. And it's like there's people, I mean, you're aware of this, that have never been to a sponsored party. They've never been the one who the, you know, the young poor people who the brand wants access to because they, you know, have fucking whatever influence or some shit like 
that sounds so, you know, mundane and regular to you. But yeah, there are people who might read what you're writing. So two things. There's people who write about, the, who go to the same party that you went to and you write the piece that you wrote where three sentences go into describing like what happened, you know? Um, like the one that you did, uh, Kesha was supposed to perform, but she didn't. So the entire draw of the night was like, you know, not. And then you go into the party and, and you write like 10 pages on like what happened in that evening with all these people. There's another version of that article that is like, just about all the things, all the goings on at the party, all the, what brands were involved, what celebrities were there, what the glitz and glamour. And there's people who are just like, want to hear what it's like to be at a party that Kesha was supposed to be at. And, oh my God, she wasn't there. How disappointed were you? Oh my God. Like, you know, right, right. someone like, you know, not everyone. So, so, so to us, yeah, but, but okay. It's two things. It's like to us, it's so elementary and regular but it's not like, oh, we're so fucking cool that this became regular to us. Like, it's regular to a lot of people. It's super fucking regular. It's yeah. like, but there are a lot of people who have zero access to it. But like, it's not like some kind of classism thing. Like, this thing is so played out and not cool. No one really thinks it's cool. Mm -hmm. It's just like, somehow there is a third version of it of people who are actually still like, have no exposure to it right and I'm not even saying that I don't think it's cool like I obviously you know moved <laughs> to New York and participated and have and still do it's like I love that type of thing but I think I I love parts of it that make me uncomfortable and like why I'm into it also makes me uncomfortable that's what I want to you know, develop in my writing, but yeah, it's like, there's, there's a part of it that I find so normal that it's funny. Like, it's funny that there's this sort of like aura of another type of New York that's sort of trying, there's, there's something that is being replicated, but the original idea is just gone so and that so that long new, gone we refer right. to we have this nostalgia that's nostalgia for nostalgia at this point mm -hmm. there's no but one I think with there's real references something to be ha to be said for that type of party as well or that that feeling because you're part of it it's like what you said like you're living your life and you're most the most important thing in the yeah. world like you're there you're definitely not in the past you're where you are and you decided to go there and it's like you could find some sort of weird resonance you know going on that is as interesting if not more than like a studio 54 crowd so here's something have you found yourself doing jobs or going to things you know knowing it's not like for the actual, like this is not going to be fulfilling for me in the ways it's like supposed to be, but maybe there's a secondary or tertiary connection that you have where you're exploring yourself and those discomforts and those interconnectedness that, that like you're doing a job that you don't really care about, but you know that this is going to turn into a piece, for example, and you're going to learn uh -huh. something about yourself. Do you, do you think, have you 
been conscious of that or is that something that comes after the fact? I think probably in in a way, yes, but I don't think I've been offered so many jobs that I really have the benefit of. Or even just like a night out, whatever, just like a lunch. Oh, yeah. You know, just experiences. Like, yeah. Yeah, for sure. I say yes to basically everything. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. I mean, I definitely have gone to, you know, like a thing that sounds ridiculous and stupid (laughs) just because I think it might be interesting for a piece. Where does, I wrote like a few notes about this, like contradiction in your work and your kind of process along these same lines of going somewhere for not necessarily the obvious value, but for some, something else, where does, you know, revenue generation and writing for an audience versus, versus yourself, you know, where do those things factor in? your creativity versus money versus readership, stuff like that? Um, I mean, I'm constantly thinking about money. I, I never really had it. And so I'm just, it's like at the point where I, if, if I can get paid at all, I'll do it. And it to, it's like not, uh, it, it's not a smart way to live, you know, like, once you factor in all of the time and effort that goes into like writing a piece, um, it's way less than minimum wage usually, but I have two full-time jobs and I work like as a freelancer doing consulting work on top of that. And I write for magazines on top of that. So right now, um, money is like, it's there for me, but it's like, I'm literally working like all the time um, to get it. And I think one thing that maybe has become like a strange disconnect for me is that like, when I write, I feel like I'm not writing for an audience. I feel like I'm writing for myself. And so of course I have to be fully honest about my connection to money and like what I would do for it or what I wouldn't do for it, especially because it's the thing that's on my mind, like all the time. So that's like what I was maybe getting at before when I was saying that I'm always surprised by people's responses to things. Like people have told me that it's brave that I write about money and that I write about needing a job or like doing something for the money. And it's like, are you kidding me? Like, have you been here? Like everybody is feeling this way. I'm not special. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like the same. Like acknowledging that people work for less than what their rent is and somehow figure it out every month. Like, right. As if that's some crazy concept. Like, (laughs) I mean, it's crazy outside of New York actually, or like outside of most places or uh, uh, a few places, but it's, yeah, I mean, it's part of my life. I th- I think it's a huge part of my life knowing that like half of the people I know, if not more, don't have to worry about money. And that makes our friendships really delicate. You know, it's like there's so much in my life that has to do with amounts of money and like where it's going that, of course, it'll be a topic when I'm writing. And 
same with like how I feel about the Me Too movement and also my, you know, parallel sex life. You know, it's like, of course, that'll be a topic. And, if, and I'm not trying to like, you know, make any waves with that. But it does, it feels good when people are like, thanks for having an honest, you know, conversation about that type of thing. Like we all work really hard and it's like, of course you do. Like I, all of my friends work really hard. Everybody I know works really hard. You know, it's like, I'm not saying anything that they're not saying in their daily conversations. So what's the balance? What's the uh, approach when you're like, you write a piece about fancy hotel in Tulum and this is a cool thing to go do. You know, it's, it's nice. Like I'm in Mexico right now. I'm in Correas. I'm on the, that, that's the East coast. I'm on the West coast. Um, very different place from Tulum though. Uh, when you get, this is, you know, they're, they're covering it for you, I'm assuming. And like, you're getting, a, you know, you're getting an amazing setup and you're getting a fee. And then you have to write about this place and you want to be yourself, but you also have to like make people want to come to this place, I assume. Like what's, what's the balance like for an article like that? That's tricky because it's, yeah, it's like, I want to be myself. And also I was writing for art forum and I, my editor was kind of like, you've got to take them to task in a way, like not in those words, but you know, kind of like, cool, wow. like super, this like super eco-friendly hotel, like flies you out, you know, and mm -hmm. like, it's already problematic because <laughs> of airfare, you know, it's, it's like step one, you got wrong. But I mean, also I'm like, I am desperate for this type of interaction like I love press trips more than anything and I'm like one of the only people I've heard say that because yeah, tell me about people, that what do you mean why I just like I think whenever I'm on a press trip I'm surrounded by people who are miserable and it's like this really oh, funny so you go thing. with a bunch of people yeah usually okay. I mean this was like a couple and a couple a few people and they happen to be my friends so it was really fun yeah um so it was hard to like see it in any like other light, but it, I was, you know, and also it wasn't all fun. Like the other people got terribly sick from drinking oh, water. So uh, <laughs> I was like, I got well. sick there once, uh, Playa del Carmen, not Tulum, but you know, next door. Um, but I got sick. It was terrible. Oh my God. It was yeah. so fucking terrible. I'm surprised I didn't get sick. Cause I have before. Um, yeah. I mean, that type of thing is just like candy to me. Like I, I love being in this like very conflicted situation. That's like, it's like being handed a platter of like horrible, you know, like I can't come up with a good metaphor right now, but it's like, we, like there were things that I probably didn't put in the article. Like the fact that we arrived kind of like, nighttime ish and weren't given and we're told to not eat dinner because we would have this huge dinner waiting for us but you know we'd been traveling and then we got there and we were really hungry and they're like dinner's not ready and it was like I think like five hours later and we're just like this is a nightmare like we're already like off to this horrible That's so start. not Mexican by the way like so like for wait for just the food situation like the food in mexico is incredible 
and people mm-hmm. like Tulum is a whole different Tulum. You're like in, you know, New York basically. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I used to go there a lot, like more than 10 years ago. Um, I stopped going probably, I don't know, six, seven, six years ago, probably when it started getting like different. And uh, yeah, I, I went a long time ago when like there were none, there was one of those hotels. Aha Tulum was the first one. And mm-hmm. yeah. Um, but it wasn't like this. And, and yeah, food in Mexico is just like, oh my God, it's incredible. And it's simple. And it's like, and everyone knows so how to cook. Excited. So that is crazy. That's like some white people bullshit, you know? Well, but that's what, that's what I love about press trips. Cause like, okay, so my, I've been to Mexico and I love it and I love Mexican food and I am lucky enough to like have had that good experience there. But like, I also love having the, press trip experience which is like here's the Mexico that a weird group of white people who are literally like so similar to cult leaders like very strange people they might be considered cult leaders by some uh like have started this like new way of living that like involves a super eco-friendly resort or whatever and like have like invited us to these like meditation ceremonies and like things that I would never ever participate in usually like on my own and like in a beautiful setting surrounded by for some reason only Instagram influencers that are like (laughs) completely covered in makeup and it's the beach and they're wearing high heels and it's like the whole thing is like a weird sci-fi movie like to me I'm like this is so incredible this is a thing that no one else can see you know from my perspective yeah yeah, it's like the people that are there won't be able to see it in the way I see it because they're part of it. But there's That's, also like, uh, yes. I mean, there was a peeping Tom, like rain, like, like there was like this guy that was like looking into people's windows and it's like technically oh, wow. a Buddhist like resort. And it was so like everything about it was like the darkness of this place, but also like the beauty and the nature. And it was, it was cool. Like that that type of trip is so fun for me and i think it's so miserable for most people <laughs> i mean i like, know what you mean because you're you're getting value out of i talk about this all the time like the value of just chaos like yesterday when the twitter situation mm-hmm. with trump like i like i like bl- like started glowing at it because yeah <laughs> it's so amazing it's like oh my god this yeah. is donald trump got you know, like D- Donald Trump got flagged by Twitter and then he enacted laws, const- you know, unconstitutional laws against Twitter in 24 hours after years of manipulating this thing. And this, this is, you know, and this is our president. Like, it's so crazy. I'd never talk about Trump. I don't give a shit. You know, I'm like so past it. Like kind of like, like you, you know, you, you've touched on it a few times where it's just like eventually, you know, sometime in 2016, it just became like, you know, wow like no this is it's not even like it's not even like cool to talk about at dinner anymore there's just nothing there's nothing to say anymore it's just like this is it's ridiculous but but yesterday i got like i like lit up i was like oh my god this is like another step in this narrative and it's a i love chaos i love seeing things alive and weird mixtures so like tulum yeah burning man uh i I remember i went to further future for that reason do you know what further future is the robot Mm -hmm. heart people i went Oh, okay. You know what Robot Heart is? It's like yeah. it's like the most rich people burning camp that like got, you know they were like the most 
they, they, those people, you know, now they all live in Tulum and stuff like that and whatever. But like, you know, it, I, I was friends with a lot of them and I like all the stuff that you're saying completely agree. But like, I went to one of their, they did a, they did a festival, their own festival in the desert outside of Las Vegas. And I went with this exact idea. Like, I hate all these people. I hate this situation. I stand, you know, everything I'm against it in every way, but I, I just want to like, I want to learn from it. I want to soak it in. I want to see what this chaos is and this craziness. I want to see how irresponsible they are. I want to see how they mistreat people. I want to learn about these kinds of people. Um, it's, it's sort of like, you know, I want to look, I, I, I want to look at the, like Krasinski's of the world <laughs> and I want to be able to articulate why I have a problem with it and I want to be able to do something about it and in order to do that you have to you have to dive in you have to live in it you can't just like say that's unpleasant and if you want if you take responsibility for you know for your universe I think you have to go in and you have to you have to reconcile you have to figure things out you know you can't just like want pleasure constantly oh yeah yeah i mean i would go to burning man in a heartbeat like i want to experience all of that why haven't you gone i i haven't been invited for free <laughs> i, I just i only want to go to stuff if it's paid for i guess i'll get That's someone to for next year if you want to do it okay. i'll get someone to Hell yeah if we stay in touch about it, I'll, I'll take care of it for you because I'll get someone the exact same, like literally the kind of Tulum people, you know, to be like, Oh, this really prestigious, you know, really cool writer. She has this blah, blah, blah. She's, you know, New York city, this and that. Like, I won't say like where your angle, cause they won't read you, you know, they'll just, they'll just see that you trend on Twitter a bunch of times, you know? And I'll be like, yeah, just give mm -hmm. her, you know, give her your, in your camp and, um, and she'll write a piece about your, you know, you and your fucking like whatever camp people um but yeah but someone will it's not it's like nothing for them and someone will put you on their private plane and bring you there and give you a spot in their camp and you will oh my god you will like have a field day it's so wild i stopped going because i just like i got better things to do at this point in my life like i can't deal with those fucking people like yeah but I'd love to see your piece. I'll send you my Burning Man piece that I wrote. I think oh, yeah, please I wrote it like five years ago, maybe. And it was effective. It's just about posers, you know, and it's just about like, it was after some bad stuff happened at Burning Man, like there was backlash to the rich people camps. And I wrote about like, why? Mm. And, and the, the end of it was my favorite where I compare them to Dan. Do you know, you know who Dan Bilzerian is? Oh, yeah, he, he's like so. the guy with the beard who always takes pictures with, uh, with like random fake tit girls and guns and like snakes <laughs> and boats yeah, yeah. and Las Vegas, and I was just like comparing him, who everyone is like, oh, he's the worst, you know, whatever, and I was comparing him to these other guys who take similar kinds of pictures, you know, but like they don't do anything for the women, you know, the, they get, they get rid of the women. Dan Bilzerian actually like the women who go in, who are in those pictures, like end up becoming famous and they get influencer contracts and stuff like that. So he like puts them on, he's like a rapper kind of like give them a feature and you get a record deal, you know? So Dan Bilzerian in this weird way has this ecosystem around himself that is very fulfilling 
to everyone involved. And he's what he's about. Like he likes to shoot guns. He does a lot of fucking cocaine. He drinks a lot of alcohol. He, you know, energy drinks. He works out. He shoots more guns. He does not like women who have not had plastic surgery. And, you know, like, it's just what he fucking does. And it's like, I don't care. I don't want to hang out with him. But, like, he is who he is. But these other guys, they make you think that, like, they're all this, like, wholesome. And, like, I just, um, I was having a conversation with, I won't won't identify who, but, like, uh, I made a comment in a private Facebook group of, like, a community. You know, it's like a shared housing kind of community of like entrepreneur based kind of things, tech people, stuff like that. And I like wrote yesterday, I was like, yo, I hope this, uh, I, I was, I was like moderator who's my friend who I know her, um, feel free to shoot me down and just cancel me, you know? But like, I wanted to bring something up. Like, <laughs> I, was, I was like, I know this is going to be unpopular, but like, you know, feel free to cancel me. Um, like already, but, um, all these homes are the same. You all buy, like, do you buy furniture from the same place? Like I'm looking through your pictures of all these homes being offered on here and like beautiful homes, but they all look the same, same interior design specs, like literally same brands of, of like, you know, you, you all have paintings like of basically the same kind of looks, you know, all this stuff. And like, why? And I started speculating. I was, I was like, is it, uh, you know, is it socioeconomic? Is it, is it, that like the brands who are serving these things to you are really good at marketing to a certain kind of consumer. And like every time someone's going to furnish their home, they get served the same like options, you know, um, what, you know, what is it? And, and I got like 10, a bunch of responses that were actually awesome. Like people actually like, like agreeing basically and speculating as to why, which was really good. Like transients, breeds like digital nomads you know transients breeds sameness actually because if you're gonna just like do something simple you're gonna end up maybe getting just the the easy thing the same thing and then everyone ends up doing the same uh so the transients that should create diversity ends up creating sameness um and then what was the funniest was after 24 hours i like wrote i was like yo this is i'm not gonna lie this is so charming to me and reassuring to me that everyone was like really supportive and actually having like a healthy conversation with ideas. And I learned from this thread on Facebook, like first time in years that this was like became valuable to me. Like I respect what you guys said and you didn't like jump on me and you actually like answered my question. And I I agree with so many of you. This is awesome. And then today the moderator came in who's like the Kool-Aid person. Like she is like works on, I'm not, I don't want to like, you know, but she works on like famous entrepreneur conferences and a certain app that like is, you know, invite only connecting, blah, blah, blah. And like super Kool-Aid. And I was worried. And then she wrote back, she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like everything looks really different on here. And this is a really vibrant community of like-minded individuals who somehow know how to express their individuality. And like, I was like, Oh God, like that is the evil, you know, that that's like the empire. Like, I was just like, Oh, oh I thought I was out. Like, oh. <laughs> it was so weird. I'll send it to you. I'll send you the thread and you could see, it. I just don't want to like, I don't want to like say it cause she's nice and like, I don't hate her, but like, maybe I do. I don't know, but, <laughs> <I> don't know. <laughs> but she goes to Tulum. She's got like a place in Tulum, like all that shit. 
they love fucking till they go to Nicaragua, you know. Oh yeah, I get it. I mean, I I what I'm glad now that I've been to Tulum because now I get it. Like I didn't get it before. It's weird, right? It's so weird, and like I feel like there's a lot of places like that where I just kind of nod along and say like I think I get what you mean, and then if you go there, it's completely different. So yeah, of course I want to go on a press trip. It's like the hmm. most Tulum thing ever. Where do you want to, like, if you could pick one now, other than Burning Man, like, what's a press trip you want to go on? Uh, hmm. That's a good question. Um, I've never been to Russia. and I oh, I'd love to, like go. to go. Yeah. That would be cool. I've never been either. There's a lot of places I'd want to go, but I've been, I mean, press trips took me to like really cool places. Like I've been uh, to Kiev. Oh, cool. I've been to uh, Copenhagen and Madrid and Lima and Kingston, Jamaica, like all these like really cool places awesome. that awesome. I would have never gone to. Cause you don't just like buy, you know, it's like nobody goes on a vacation to Kingston. Right. Yeah, and I'm not like a record producer or something, so I'm like, <laughs> it's probably a place that's never like random to be able to get a chance to see. Yeah, yeah, and I've been there like three times now. It's wow, great. has like writing books <laughs> has that elevated your you know your life, your livelihood? Has semiotext like a small publishing like does that like where does that fit in with your world today versus like going with the random houses of like send me out text like i'll read whatever they you know if they put it out i'm like okay cool they have a good reason it's totally different from like a penguin or something like that yeah i mean for sure i i went with semiotext not because there were like other options but also because they're my favorite like mm -hmm. you know it's like i don't know what i would have done if it's I'd so prestigious if you don't know it's like incredible I, totally no they're like my absolute favorite and I think the same way about them like I want to read everything that they put out so of course I was like absolutely that's my top pick and I you know it's like I I have no idea what like because I'm such a sellout in so many ways like I don't know what I would have done if like somebody had offered me a million dollars to publish something somewhere else but I am really happy about the exact track of my books. Like, I think That's that they're amazing. doing like exactly what I wanted to do with them. And like, Which they're is not, what? I mean, there's so many, well, it's like, I, I have like a nice, like not huge, but like interested readership. And I think there's a lot of books out there that I think are really good that kind of, it's almost like they accidentally became bestsellers, like despite how good they are, they became these like kind of like bigger deals things than they should have been. And it puts them in this place where they have to then contend with like other garbage bestsellers and also like be broad enough for a different type of readership or like answer to that readership eventually with the mm -hmm. next book and it becomes like movie deals or like hulu tv series you know what i mean like yeah. it's not i'm obviously a little jealous of like some aspects of that but i'm not 
totally. Yo, Little Fires Everywhere is a garbage TV I, show. Just FYI, in my opinion. I haven't, I haven't watched, <laughs> and I do, and I don't want to watch Normal People because I liked the book. I was like, <laughs> I don't need to see that. You know, it's like yeah. I, the book is great, and the show, the show is not horrible, but it's not the book. Okay, maybe I'll watch it. It won't upset you. Little Fires normal people i'm not done with it but i'm like not mad at it in the slightest <clears throat> that's good good to know little fires everywhere is trash <laughs> well yeah i mean i like i like being in the middle like i said so i like being a little bit um under the radar but not so much that you know it feels like a, you're reading a zine or something what if the middle is just people it's just individuals it's just like you know people who are not subscribing to either this niche thing because you know you could you could be niche and you could be mainstream and they're the same thing you know you're picking a uh, it's like with record labels you know I'm, I'm mainly my life is if there's an industry that i'm most exposed to it's music and i remember a few years ago where um i was on a panel with a bunch of a r's like like people who make records and pick records and sign them to labels and i remember Everyone on the panel except for me saying that indie labels job is to be cool and be a tastemaker and like you you sign an artist and you just kind of give them your cosign and and the people who it's sort of like semi attacks like let, like let's say semi attacks and this is but, but, but what could be like a hypothetical of semi attacks but it's not what they are um, imagine if semi attacks just did jack shit but they gave you like they just said it was on that. And that was the entirety of like your value and they didn't give you any money, but they just gave you the seal of approval from semi text and like, that's it. That's effectively like what a lot of um, indie labels used to say that they were now they're out of business and they can't get away with that anymore. And then on the other end of the spectrum are the major labels who just slot things into genre and stuff like that. And it's all consolidated, but um, you know, it's the same thing in each way. It's like, are you going to be part of this scene that is run by this tiny indie label that, they are the gatekeeper to it, or are you going to be part of this, you know, bigger scene, which is just like top 40 stuff that the majors are the, but everybody else in the middle, is just like, you know, your own thing. It's not, I don't know if, yeah, it's, it, we could call it the middle, we could call it individuality, but it's like, I, I didn't see you as a, as a middle until you started mentioning that. I just saw you as someone with a nuanced take, you know, I didn't, I didn't think about it mm. as oh, she's not using her Me Too. Uh, she's, this is not a Me Too kind of book, but it's not a, uh, an influencer kind of book. It's, I, ju mm -hmm. I just thought, oh, no, like, this is a take that I appreciate. I didn't think about it as you're not going on either side of the topical, you know, uh, I don't know, choices you know, pick them. Yeah. Well, I think the record label example is a good one, but it's weird because I think also when it comes to publishing, I mean, book publishing, it's like, it's a little behind the times or it's just maybe different and it'll never be on the same track as record industry stuff, but it's, it's still very like, I think there's like 
very much like a camp of like, you can self publish and that's fine. And then there's another camp of like, if you self publish, then we're never talking to you again. Like, like also. Could you represent not, us? You know, well, I'm in between. Yeah. yeah, no, cause yeah. Well, there's that, but there's also just this sort of like elitism that I'm actually pretty drawn to like, despite myself, because I'm like, there are actually way too many, you know, writers in the world. And it's, it's, it's a fact because yeah, the system unlike of gatekeepers giving you permission sometimes is, is effective. Well, it's, it's, it's there for a reason. And right. I'm not saying it's like a, a good system, but it's, I mean, anybody in the entire world can write and literally everyone does like everybody actually does. So it's like this weird thing where like you could be a musician or not, but like you're, necessarily a writer if you're a human being so sure. it's kind of this like weird we're writing all day like, no matter what you know with our thumbs yeah like we're emailing we're texting and it's i mean and and also writing for an audience with social media but like sure. yeah like if you're if you're going to place yourself on the spectrum of like how prestigious is my you know work or like how literary or credible is it is it all the way on the New York Times list or whatever? Like, do I write for the New Yorker, something like that? Or is it like, I don't need that type of validation? That part of the spectrum is becoming very murky, you know, just because we're living in a world where like, if you don't need that validation, that just means you're placing yourself in the, in the place where like everyone else is too, you know, it's, it's you're not right. like, I no longer assume that home. the New Yorker has the best 10 articles of the week. No, true. I, I don't think so either. I just, it's like, they're, they're there because there's like validation to be had. And there's like, I mean, anybody in the world can write a hot take and like post a funny meme and get, the attention that they deserve for like how great it is and that's like a great part of society today but there's also this other part of society that's very stuck on the fact that like there is to I mean you want some things to be filtered out like you would like to have a little bit of a platform that tells you like you don't want the platform yourself. You know, I'm saying like, you would like to see a platform tell you like, this is actually good. You know, this isn't like a momentary, like rise to the algorithms top viewed thing. Totally, this yeah. is like, we need that. Yeah. We need people, human curation. Yeah. And I like, so that's why I'm like, I will always defend like big publishing houses, even though they're like evil you know? <laughs> sure. No, I totally. And I mean, same thing with record labels, you know, like we, there's a process to, it's like, it's cool and all that like, oh yeah, anyone can make music. Anyone can get distribution. Like, but that's also a dystopia because like now I was with, I had a, a DJ on this morning and yeah, we were talking about it. It's like, yo, back in the day, it was like your town got five copies of this vinyl of this record. And if you got one of those five, you got to play the record. If you didn't, like you had to find it from one of those guys and ask to borrow it. 
-hmm. and that was it. Now we get DJ promos in our, in, in our inbox and they're not even like, you don't even get dedicated. You get like rap, you get like 75 at a time, depending on who you are. Like if, if you're like a popular DJ, you get a hunt, you, you get like an email with 75 in them from one, there's like five services maybe. And you get like, they just give you a shitload and you don't even look at them anymore. Like, I don't know who looks at them. Cause it's just, it's impossible. You know, you, you get, you get 500 tracks a week, probably serve mm -hmm. service. I'm, I'm not, you can get way, way, way more, but like, I probably get, I probably get like 500 a week. That's crazy. It's insane. And of course I don't look at it. You know, I don't listen to these. Like I play whatever I play based on like my relationships and my tastes, but it's the same thing with like, with reading, like, like I don't just read everything on the Sunday times cause it's the Sunday yeah. times. Like, like that, my dad used to do that, but like, that doesn't happen anymore. Like I don't have the bandwidth for that. You know, like I pick and choose here and there and I make my own thing. There is no uh, definitive. However, like, yeah, I do look at, I do open the times email more than I open, like, I don't know the daily beast, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, I do too. <laughs> <laughs> like the rap has tried to, has, has been sending me lots of emails trying to get me to like, I don't know how that, I don't know what I did wrong that they have my email address. That they're trying to get me to be subscribed to or something, but like, I don't want them, you know? <laughs> There's a difference between like Wall Street Journal, New Yorker, N plus one, the Times. I do care about those gatekeepers. Yeah, you know? me too. This is something I wrote down from one of your pieces, and I, I'm interested in in how you feel about it. The back to Me Too stuff, and like I don't really give a shit about Me Too stuff. That's not where I'm trying to go. It's more about gender dynamics today. That you look at like the roster of who's been outed, who's been canceled. And um, they all look like these, you know, red faced, white, crusty, like, like folded neck old men. Now those guys, like the, the, the guys who would be the next generation of that don't look like that. Now they have stylists, they have trainers, they have nutritionists, they have, you know, they're, they're getting photographed constantly. Uh, I was reading you your words while I had like something pop up that my you know 34 year old pretty blonde friend got engaged to this guy and I saw he's like I, I guess he's 50 and he's got like a very very tasteful gray you know black and gray beard and his hair is not thinning, but it's like not the strong part. It's the beard that's the strong part. And he's got a, a, a new wife. It's clearly a new wife. And I went on, I went to look. I just, for some, I think because I was reading you and I was like going, I was, you know, I had this on my mind. And I was just like, did this guy, I had a hunch that this guy is newly looking this way. He's very smooth. Look, he looks like a, like a successful, you know, Patagonia entrepreneur who is like, hitting his second act and like has, you know, has money. And, uh, and I went back and he was like a total fucking dweeb until five years ago. And then he started, you could see, you could see he's starting to do CrossFit and then he grew his beard out, but he was like a two, super nerdy guy right before. And he has two kids, three kids, something like that. There's another wife that is no longer like she's eliminated from social media, all this stuff. And the guy is dweeby as fuck. Like, and now he's very handsome, well put together, well dressed. He's clearly he's styled. 
his beard is trimmed and all this shit. Like, and, and it made me, and I was reading your article about the, you know, the lineup and like, he's the me too guy of now, but he doesn't look like that. He doesn't look like Harvey Weinstein. Do you think he's going to get canceled? I don't know this guy in particular. I literally don't know him. I'm just (laughs) that archetype. So Mm. he was a dweeb and the 30 years ago, the guy never, the guy just made money and didn't care what he looked like, didn't have to. And he just like got fat and got, you know, like just was dweeby forever. Like Jeff Bezos is like making himself look good now. You know, he's working out all the time and he's like wearing these tucked in shirts and stuff. And like the Jeff Bezos of the past, like doesn't look good. Cause they're not as photographed. Yeah. They didn't care. It wasn't a thing. They were just focused on work, you know? Mm-hmm. And no one, and they got, they, they, they got to the point where they no longer, it wasn't, they just didn't give a shit. Now it's like worth it to have your second act and be hot. First of all, well, it's good for business, cult of personality. And second of all, like it's fun. It's you get, you get access to different women. I guess so. I've always, I mean, that part of the Me Too movement is like, or I guess not the movement, the, uh, time period is like mm-hmm. also another fascinating part of it because I listened to the Harvey Weinstein trial, oh, like wow. I did not okay. um, reenacted. Like there was like a podcast that reenacted it. And so like, I, I listened to like all these strange conversations about like his body and what he looked like and how could any like stunning model-esque woman be that People att- love to attractive. Talk about that. Right. But also it was kind of this like titillating experience. Cause you're like, yeah, he's like so grotesque and she's so beautiful. And he's like literally like deformed. And like the more it went on, the more it was like, he smelled bad. He had like yeah. problems with erectile dysfunction. He, you know, like everything, like he had like, and he didn't, back give, a, he didn't give a shit. Well, it was like the way you describe these things is honestly like pornographic after a while. I don't uh, know if anybody else thought this way, I, I, but I it was kind of this thing where there's like a fetish to it. Like there's like, I, I don't doubt that these women felt, you know, manipulated by him, but I also don't doubt that the manipulation coming from somebody that was like so undeserving physically of his stature was like this weird dynamic of power that also was sexually electrifying. Like to be attracted to power is like, it's, I think there's a part of it that makes you think your physical presence can overcome it. And that's the attraction, you know? It's like, I can just like walk into a room cause I'm so beautiful. And the most powerful man here is will follow his knees for me. That's like obviously the fantasy, but like even more like the, like taking it to another level is like, and that man is grotesque. Mm-hmm. And therefore he's even more like, um, you know, like, speechless around me because it's like a guy like me how could you possibly and you're like oh well I find things about you attractive and like that's just me and like you'll have to you know 
like get over your flabbergasted behavior because guess what? I'm here. I'm like a model and I want to be with you. And I mean, he was married to a beautiful woman. Gorgeous. And wildly, wildly creative and successful and dynamic and awesome. And she must have felt that way about him at some point and maybe still does. And it's like, I want this man crawling to me mm-hmm. and with all his power and money and his like disgusting body. It's kind Why of- Why are people so, it's, so, so you're describing two phenomena. One is the actual sexual interaction, the attraction, the, that fetishization of the woman who wants him crawling. And the other is the person talking about it. All these people talk about it who have nothing to do with it, who are not, you know, Rose McGowan's best friend or something like that. Like just random people who are just describing it from reading. And they love to talk about how grotesque he is. It's just people love to say it over and over again about how disgusting he is. Not his behavior. They, they equate his behavior, of course, but they love to talk about how fat and ugly and just disgusting he is. Why? I think why does it matter you know well I think it does matter in some ways but it's stupid to it's really like damning to bring it up in a way well at least that's how I felt when I was listening to this podcast because I was like okay I mean okay so you're trying to prove to me that this person wouldn't possibly be involved in with a guy like this like that's absolutely believable that part of it is the most believable like the fact that he was so ugly made him more approachable and that made his power more attainable. It's like, the more you talk about how ugly he is, the more I believe that this whole thing wasn't actually like so imbalanced. Like because he's unattractive, that proves that he was, must've raped to get access. Like that's not, uh, it's weird. Well, it's, just very like simplistic i think a lot of people are like hot men don't rape ugly men do that's why i brought up that's why i didn't that's why i sort of asked the question on both sides where i introduced both obviously harvey weinstein is one reference point and this guy who's engaged to my 34 year old blonde friend is another reference point and i I, you know it has nothing to do with this fucking i know nothing about this guy this guy just made me think about like this is tomorrow's version of harvey weinstein potentially but he's oh sorry no worries but like this guy could look attractive now you know and what if he's attractive what if the rapist is attractive you know like right well i think that it's harder to make a big show of it yeah when it looks like that that's not good you know that's that's shitty that's really shitty yeah of course (laughs) i mean i think that people like the beauty and the beast story more Uh uh-huh but maybe that'll change i don't know what happens in the next chapter when you know there are fewer and fewer like it's harder to be grotesque every day Men are not, you know, <laughs> I'm 35 and it's just like, there's not a lot of like super, f- I remember like my dad's friends, there's tons of them who are just like totally nerdy, no fashion, you know, not attracted. They don't work out. Now everyone's got a look and everyone's like 
something, you know, you can't be grotesque anymore. Hmm. How's that going to affect us with, with this kind you know, so, so take me too consciousness, you know, moving forward. If everyone's aware of it now, everyone's th- like when I was my, my high school girlfriend, uh, when I was 15, she got raped and I became super aware of this and I've been, you know, hot button about it since I was 15 years old. I didn't have any friends who I shared that with. No one gave a fuck. I got in trouble in school for bringing it up. Actually. I, I, um, I, I suspended, like I kind of, I said the right thing at the right time to like position it, but I almost got suspended for talking about it. Um, cause it just wasn't a thing. And I was like, actually it is actually someone here. Like, and so for like, you know, whatever that was, uh, you know, 15 years, 20 years, no one really like, now everyone's like, okay, cool. People get raped. Like we accept that. Um, and there's a spectrum of what rape means and what assault means and what discomfort means and meanness means. But what if everyone is like, you know, what if everyone's hot? (laughs) I don't think it's that everyone's hot. I think that it's, that it's easier to present as hot now. There are still very ugly people in the world. Yeah. Right? I don't yeah, know. I, I mean, mean, I think I there are, there's like a whole underbelly of also <laughs> underbelly people, of ugly people. <laughs> yeah, but also like all these people staying at home for quarantine and being like, I love this shit. I'm like so into not leaving my house and like you guys are going to get really used to not being hot and that's fine oh so that's actually good that's actually wow that's something i didn't think of yeah people are gonna like settle into their i don't want to do my makeup routine or whatever like Mm -hmm. yeah i love that i want everybody to be a little uglier well i'm if you can't tell like i'm all for it yeah like i don't want this guy to you know cancel his family and start doing fucking CrossFit and then marry the woman, you know, my friend who's 15 years younger and like, (laughs) you know, start a new life and all of a sudden have a beard. Like, I don't want that. I don't want to know that couple. Like that sucks. I want this guy to be a dweeb and like, I I want him to have to, to have beauty and, and, and be fulfilled and stuff. I don't want it to be because he finally landed that hot blonde chick. I don't want that in the world. I think that sucks. Yeah. I mean, we live in a very like superficial time that I'm really not like it doesn't meld with my ideas of beauty. And it's very confusing to me because I'm like, I'm just very like not into the look of plastic surgery. And like, I can start to try to come around to like, yeah, it's like, I'll, I'll like come around in certain ways and be like, okay, like a lot of my friends get it done and it's like for these reasons and, you know, it's like whatever. It has a lot to do with like the normalization of gender dysphoria and blah, blah, blah. And it's and it's also like obviously running parallel to this thing that's happening where like everybody can put a filter on or whatever. You know, it's like there's there's body modification that isn't even invasive at this point. And so you really can't have like a lot of arguments against it other than like your own qualms with like, you know, like if I can't keep up 
with whatever's being offered, then I'm going to be mad at it, which is like kind of where I'm at. But at the same time, I do want to hold on to this idea that I actually like the, the, the aesthetic of ugliness. And I've always liked that. Reality TV, like political campaigning, is all form, all narrative, devices. We're tricked and then tricked again until the only redeemable character is the one everyone started out hating. Dishonesty becomes a scale. Desperation becomes endearing. Plastic surgery melds with natural features. What at first alarms a person becomes a sign of resilience. We call it the uncanny valley or the physical incarnation of insecurity, these frozen facial expressions. Then we see that someone with visible scarring looks, we say that someone with visible scarring looks fabulous for her age or better. She looks like she does not have an age. I loved that. <laughs> Thanks. I took that in my notes. <laughs> I love the concept of the uncanny valley and I, I loved how you surrounded it. Oh yeah. Thank you. That was one of my notes. Uh, okay. Last thread that I want to like, basically off of that, that I feel like is okay to like talk about with you like personal, like, I have a lot of conversations about just like dating life. Like I don't have a regular dating life personally. And I talk openly about these things like on my Instagram and stuff like that. And people respond and I get into conversations. I get into long conversations, like, like women specifically, rarely men because they're not open enough, but girls will write to me and talk about a date that they went on and this scenario and whatever. And, and I'll go in, I'll, I'll spend, you know, an hour. Like I love those kinds of conversations and I love the way that you talk about your own, you know, dating life. I don't necessarily have like, I just kind of shit is so weird right now. And I don't know. I I want like, what are your, you have thoughts. Like, I know I haven't, you know, they're not out yet. And like, what are you thinking about what's going on (laughs) with like romance today? Um, How do you feel? Oh, I mean, okay. Well, I, I should say that I have a boyfriend and I've been dating him for a while and we're like quarantining together. Okay. We don't live together, but um, basically now we do. And it's been really great to have somebody around. And I almost, it's so like the thing where I was talking about like wanting to be in that uncomfortable situation. It's, it's, I'm almost jealous of, the people who have been thrown into this thing totally alone. Mm. I'm not completely, I'm actually not jealous because I've really needed a person to talk to when it started. And like my boyfriend is really great to talk to. Um, But there's also this other part of me that's like, I didn't get like the short end of the stick here. And that's like, not what I'm used to and you know like if I had been alone in this situation or in a miserable relationship which is like really the gold then I would have had a lot to write about (laughs) there's a (laughs) and uh, like a Julia Fox thing a Julia Fox podcast that she did about that oh really stuck with your I'm about to get divorced partner wow it was it was it's cute it's like 10 minutes but uh you know I really want to listen to that yeah 
I didn't know she was getting divorced. No, 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 no. It's um, it's a, it's a. She wrote like, like an, like an audio play. It's like fifteen minutes, ten minutes. Oh, okay. It's, it's, it's a, it's, it's acting. It's, it's fictional. Yeah, but it's about like her okay. and her like husband who are getting divorced, then quarantined together, getting back to fall, fall back in love, get divorced again. You know, go back and forth, and all the emotions of quarantine. And it's, it's funny. Yeah. And it's Julia. <laughs> I have to. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to say, like, I saw her and her, I think, husband, like, driving around the other day, and they didn't look unhappy, but... Oh, yeah, was... no, 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 this is totally... <laughs> <laughs> but I also, I'm sure she's, you know, like, she has the same, maybe, feelings as me, since she, like, literally wrote about it, you know, mm. like, wanting to know, like, the worst possible scenario, what that would feel like to be inside of it. I mean, I think the worst possible scenario would be even worse than that, obviously. But it's, you know, it's like the the to worst possible thing. Yeah, to be sick by yourself and not getting unemployment and yeah. having to, and not getting a rent freeze and whatever. But um, yeah, but I'm like so interested in what stories will come out of this. Like, Have you like been somebody, to people about it? Well, that's the thing. So, like, I've been talking to all my friends, you know, kind of regularly. There's been, like, a few drop-offs, which is kind of another weird part of this thing. With, like, who are your quarantine People that, like, won't talk, that, like, are not communicating the way that you would expect them to? Yeah, just, like, I don't know. Like, who do you, like, really, you know, have the same interests with during uh-huh. this specific time where, like, you know, last year I had the same interests as like another set of friends. <laughs> yeah, and this year yeah. it's kind of like where you fall in like a certain bracket kind of makes a difference. But anyway, I mean, I just think there's like a part of me that's so fascinated by the, um, the fight or flight stuff going on too, where it's like, we're all pretty privileged to like, have the spaces that we're in and just the idea that like that's the case so far and that we can have a person to talk to like in my case it's like I have a person to talk to you know we have been getting along we're like you know like everything's fine everything's great but like is that me compensating for the fact that like I know it would be a really bad idea to like not get in an argument or yeah exactly and like I know a lot of people that are in relationships that are a little bit newer than mine that were that are quarantining together and I just want to know like how is that really going or are you just Mm. saying that it's going great are are you are you having those conversations or are they avoiding them or what I think that it's subconscious they literally not have the time to talk about it (laughs) no they do like we we totally like talk it's just I think some people are subconsciously trying to smooth things out because yeah. this is the type of situation we're in. It's like, that's what happens when people are in war-torn countries too, uh-huh. you know? You don't go on and on about like every little thing that you find annoying about your husband. That makes sense. But yeah. I mean, we keep talking about like when it's going to end too. And I'm like, I don't. How do you feel? 
do you I want it to end or do you, yeah, like, what do you, what do you, where's your emotional state with the, with like reopening and stuff like that? Oh, I mean, I think it's so not up to me to say anything about it. Like I have absolutely no idea because it's such an abstract concept in the beginning and like literally like invisible germs are like flying around. Like I don't fucking know. I mean, it's, I have absolutely no idea, but I think the concept of something like this ending is also a little abstract. And so I don't, I'm a little curious to see how it'll feel like it's over when it, when people start to say, you know, it past tense, mm-hmm. COVID-19. Yeah. I mean, clearly it's going to be something new, but you know, I guess uh, I've been very cautious. Like I hear a lot of my New York friends getting very antsy to like get back to normal. And I'm like, that's not going to, ha- it's not going to be normal. You know, granted I'm not there, so I don't have mm-hmm. the same experience. I'm in a different position. I'm alone, but I'm not in like a, uh, I'm in a, I'm in a nice alone. I mean, and I'm also someone who's cool with that. Um, like this solitude has been something I've like fantasized about for my whole life. I don't want to do it forever, mm-hmm. but yeah, putting myself six months in a, on the ocean, like with a record to work on a show to do every day, getting, you know, getting to do this with you is, is, a, is a joy. This is an awesome thing. Like, I'm not like, I'm not like, oh shit, I got to go to Finelli. Like I, I miss Finelli. Like I don't miss Finelli. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. Like I don't need to be there. Like I'm happy to do this. And then like, you know, sunset is happening right over there and it's fucking gorgeous. And like, I'm going to go to sleep mm-hmm. at some, like when the sun goes down, wake up because the sun is coming up and that's fucking cool. So I'm in like a different um, emotional state than other people, but I've been really worried about a lot of my New York friends and it's, it's, it's revealing. It's sort of like what you talked about with um, circumstance and seeing like how people react to things and sort of what bracket you, you get into and um, hierarchy of needs, you know uh, you, I've seen a lot of people who just like companionship uh, distraction engagement, love, attention is very high, is much higher in their hierarchy of needs than I expected because they're just like, right. it doesn't matter. I got, they just got to get out there. You know, they want to throw a party. People called me asking about parties last weekend and stuff oh, like wow. that. And people are going on dates and stuff. And like, they're just, you know, super thirsty. And I'm just like, yo, y- you have work to do, like inside work to do in a, inside with four walls and a ceiling. And inside your, you know, your, yourself and like, man, you know. Yeah. yeah. No, it's almost like no matter what your personal feelings are with like, whether it's okay to do whatever you're doing, you still have this like thing to get over where you're like, but I'm doing the thing and I probably would have done it like no matter what, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, I've done that. I've gone out. I've like gone to different like park gatherings or whatever and then been like all right this is like totally not six feet apart whatever (laughs) of course like what did I expect but I'm like it's like yeah it's this like emotional work of like if you are told that like you might die if you go out obviously you're going to stay home if you are told that you know your family member might die you're going to stay home. But like, what's, what's the most removed or the closest removed that you could like possibly be okay with, which is like a very 
like kind of philosophical question that we're all yes. like dealing with. And it's very strange. Where do you sit on it? I mean, clearly I don't have a whole lot of um, uh, restraint if I've like gone to the park, you know, every mm -hmm. weekend. But it's also like this thing where like New York is so much more on top of each other than I even thought, you know, mm. I, it's, we, yeah, you like, live in a building with hundreds of people, maybe thousands. I, I live, yeah, I live in a building uh, that, you know, like we all use the same trash receptacle. Mm -hmm. um, it's like when I walk onto my sidewalk, which is like two feet wide, and there's somebody coming in each direction mm -hmm. on either side of me, like, what do I, I mean, it's yeah. like, because it's I so just, awkward. Like, it's well, know. nothing happens. Nothing, I mean, it's like, it's this weird thing like people sometimes get a little weird and they're like excuse me i'm like trying to get by you and i don't want to be within six feet of you like they'll like say something to you yeah. but it's super rare like i don't see that happening that often because i think it's this thing where like there's in the new york understanding of six feet apart is like as long as you're like walking in the same direction you're six feet apart but if you're like mm. walking in opposite directions you can be like two inches away from one another <laughs> because you're crossing it's yeah, like yeah. the and it's like i would I, just walk in the street well like, you can but also like sometimes it. you can't it's like there's yeah. literally no way around it in some cases and so if you go to a time. bodega yeah, you know when you're doing a bodega someone's on the other aisle like right next to you basically it's not possible yeah they have this like 20 person limit for like most stores now and you go into a store and you're like okay i'm surrounded by people like mm -hmm. there are literally people, 20 person like, that's a lot of people well it depends on the size of the store okay. or whatever if you're at like, like sephora in meatpacking i guess that's a good amount but if you're <laughs> at a bodega it's too many <laughs> no yeah like it's like a whole foods or something but yeah okay fine i i still it's like I don't know. Like nobody's born with these types of behaviors. Right. They learn. I'm that. super binary with it because of like the position, kind of just the position, the bracket, I guess, like the, the, my situation, like, I'm just like, it's not worth getting sick. It's not worth taking any risks because I like have all the things that I need and getting sick would only be bad. I don't gain anything by being a little bit looser. And the one thing, there's one thing that would make, or there's two things that would make me take a risk. And like, if my film is at Venice, I'll go to Venice and <laughs> that's it. Like, cause that, that's like, I, first of all, I think it's a good risk because I think that by, if Venice does happen at all and I'm allowed to go, I think it will be very safe by September. I heard it was postponed. Did you hear that in the last like 24 hours? No. Oh, well, am I wrong? Hopefully. I don't know. Well, it's, it's, it was postponed until September 2nd. But, oh, okay. Then uh, yeah, that's what I heard. Like, oh what? yeah. I mean, that's what, I don't know. You might've heard something. I don't know. Cause I'm like asking people constantly cause that's the only way until there's like official announcements. It's all just like who, you know, on the committees and shit. Mm -hmm. But, um, I've heard different things from two different people on the same committee. So I don't fucking know. So that's why I'm like, Oh, if you know something <laughs> like, but, uh, yeah, but by September, I feel like Italy will be so far ahead of it that 
if it happens, it won't happen if they're fucked up, but if they're not, you know, if they're doing it, I think it means that they're like, they're on top of it. So I, that's like a risk that I'm willing to take. Cause this is like my first film. And I'm just like, yo, like, this is my dream being at Venice. And this is like why I'm alive. Like Venice, not can like, like whatever we don't like, I love Venice and I've been going, it's, it's very special to me. It's like, I, I think I like learned about love through Venice and the first girl that I really loved being Italian. And like, I just have like a million, you know, I'm very connected to it. I love it. I've, I, I like can start crying thinking about like <laughs> the idea of showing my film at Venice. It's, it, I, I've only, I like was writing to the programmer today. I'm like, I want you guys to know, like I'm literally never showing the film at a festival if not at Venice. So just FYI, like I'm making the next film and I'm never showing this film unless it's at your festival. This wow. is not an ultimatum. This is just letting you know. It's not <laughs> going to Cannes, even if they, not, not that they are begging, banging on my door. I just mean like, I will only, I won't show it at Locarno, no Berlin, no New York. I only want the film at Venice. Otherwise, it's going to be a piece that I keep, you know, for, you know, behind the scenes, like production developing wow. the next thing i hope it gets there me too and that's so that's my risk and the other thing is no one's allowed to visit me except one person and uh i don't know if she's coming but uh yeah i'm just like i won't <laughs> break my quarantine unless it's for her and anyone who knows me knows who it is but uh yeah i think she actually <laughs> texted me while we're talking this is so strange oh my god you have to look at it I'll look at it after but she hasn't she's like I kind of like did that a few days ago I've like danced around it for a while and just let her be like because we basically like had disconnect and then this happened and we've just like been mature about not pushing resolution because who you know mm -hmm. what are we gonna do and then I kind of like said the things and then she hasn't responded and then she apparently just responded i wasn't expecting a response wow. but i don't I, I don't think that means she's like coming to mexico but i would i would like oh my god i'd be so happy if she came i was very <laughs> like yeah that's exciting that's it venice and the girl i love that's wow. it so romantic yeah i'll i'll die for love <laughs> <laughs> i'll die for like a slice of pizza i guess oh my god i haven't had good pizza in a long time or sushi <laughs> john's pizza oh my I mean, god uh, oh i got i got john's takeout my god i'm so jealous yeah that's like, what i'm I have saying incredible I mexican food every day but that's amazing that you got john's pizza wow yeah yeah I might get it tonight. Have it for me and just like send, send me a picture of John's. Okay. That would be really beautiful. All right. Well, okay, this has been really, really wonderful. This is like, like a, a yeah. pleasure for me. Cause this is like, not even, I don't even know what, like, like people ask me, this isn't like an interview shit. This is just like me getting to talk to people who I want to talk to. And most of them like I know already, but you're one who this was my getting to know you. And like, this is, these are times, this is like why I wanted to start a show so that we could do this. And I really, really it's appreciate so fun. you. I'm so happy you feel the same way. Cause <laughs> yeah. 
Thank you. I, lo- I love what you write and I am constantly just like thinking about it and then I get to like, this is like what, ma- you know, life is so fucking cool. Like I read this person that I'm like, oh my God, she's got like great, I, I love the, and I get to like actually just talk to you about it. It's, it's, that's a crazy, <laughs> that's a crazy idea. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, yeah. it seems so generic and simple, but like I spend the day in your head through your writing and then I get to talk to you about it. Like that's so fucking cool. Future. What a world. <laughs> Like, like what, how can we, you know, that's so like, how can we be so like fucked up and, and anxiety filled that like, we need to go and danger ourselves when like this, this is possible. This is so enriching. <laughs> I'm going to go to bed. So just like solid. That's I don't care what the text says. I'm good. <laughs> I'm super good. I, I think you should read the text though. I'm gonna you want me to read it right now? No, no, no. Wait for it. I was gonna yeah, I was gonna wait. I was like, you don't need to see like my you know. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. I Thanks, can't yeah. wait to read like whatever you've been writing because I know you've been writing stuff. And if you ever need a mm-hmm. need a you know, I don't know, perspective, I'm happy to happy to bounce ideas, happy to read stuff, be your editor or whatever. Not, not like a proper editor, but just like a person to give opinions. Um, and yeah, like keep doing what you're doing and stay in the middle if that's what you call it, because it's really, really valuable position. We need it. Thank you. That was so, this was really great. And I hope your film gets into Venice. Thank you so much. I hope you, (laughs) like your next book just like blows up all the Amazon charts that all the big publishers like dominate, but somehow yours just like fucks them all up. And then you get (laughs) flown to Moscow and everywhere else for press trips. All right. Yeah. Thank you. I'm so happy to be in touch. Enjoy your John's pizza. I'm super jealous and don't get coronavirus, please. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Have a great night. Thank you again. Thank you. Thanks. Bye.